0: Hi, it's Steve Addison here, and you're listening to the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. In this podcast, Nathan Shank will talk to us about the five levels of movement leadership. If you're able, you want to watch this as a video as Nathan is working on the whiteboard as he goes. You'll find the video version. At the Movements.net blog. This discussion of leadership levels picks up where Nathan left off in episode 86, where he was discussing the four fields. Let's take another step forward then. If we're seeing reproducing churches, right all that we intend, all that's that's meant to say by the reset button, those churches that are vested with authority responsibility, they can send people out with full authority, accountability, even resourcing, then we end up with something that looks like this. As I described it, it was fourth generation will carry its own momentum. So our goal is that we would get to a 4G or fourth generation movement of church planting. So Gen 1, 2, 3, and 4 question becomes, how do we get there? And ultimately, we rise and fall on the vision for an equipping of leaders who can go out and accomplish those same things. Now, that happens through local churches, but it also, many times in the kingdom, happens through catalysts who come, equip and encourage and envision and help that church become a sending base. So the question is, how do we then multiply leaders who can do the same? To, to kind of systematize or categorize the, the, our thinking in that realm. A lot of people do these things intuitively or are already about this process of multiplying and pushing others forward. But we've come to a few categories in order to help us try to become more efficient and for that matter, make sure that we're not missing gears as we accelerate in a movement, something like character or something like uh, the authority of the word of God and that that mind of the new leader married to that word as a a fail-safe if in fact the chain, the discipleship chain would break down. So... What we're going to do is just talk through what that looks like, five levels of leadership that we expect, that we uh, believe lead us toward ultimately a level five leader, which I'll describe as as the Apostle Paul, okay? Our desire is to see multiple generations and multiple streams of church planting. Let me say that again. The desire is to see Multiple generations and multiple streams, just like this, that there would be multiple streams of church planting. That's how we saturate. That's how we, even for that matter, keep up with population growth. Describe a stream. A stream is basically by getting to third, fourth generational growth out of the initial church. How do you get to a stream? This process of church planting repeats itself seasonally over and over again and ultimately leads you down this road, what we call a church planting stream. Churches that reproduce churches, that reproduce churches, and so forth. Of course, we know, we use that, that terminology, churches plant churches. But of course, what we're really saying, churches equip leaders, sent ones who are sent out into the next empty field, empowered, authorized, accountable, ultimately potentially resourced from within, and you've got a sustainable stream of church planting. Now, how do we get there? Well, typically, when we approach a, an existing church or a ministry of any kind, ideally a New Testament church that's healthy, we're going to challenge them that every believer inside that church needs to be mobilized to do what? Enter empty fields and sow the seed. I think that's 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, you're a kingdom of priests. Once you're not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, now you've received mercy, so that you declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Man, pick a passage of Scripture. So many books of the Bible that talk about that stewardship. Every believer, Matthew 28 for that matter. Every believer empowered to go out and pursue the Great Commission. Where do we start? We start with empowering them with simple tools to enter empty fields and sow the seed. So those who obey, those who do that, we're going to call a level one leader, okay? Level one leader is a seed sower, a seed sower, an evangelist, okay? Sometimes the term evangelist demobilizes just by all the baggage we think of. I'm not talking about necessarily Billy Graham. I'm talking about people like the Samaritan woman in John 4 or the demoniac in Mark 5 who sent back to his family to tell everything Jesus had done. That's the type of person we're pursuing. Someone who can enter empty fields has answered the question, who do I share with and what do I say? Okay? That's a seed sower. So it's field one and two, competence and confidence, right? Now, we could spend time, in fact, we have in the last day and a half, Talking about and making a list of those tools that they would need to have in their tool belt. Things like personal testimony, gospel presentation. We talk about things that need to happen in their heart, like a love for the glory of God or love for lost people. We talk about things in their head like they better understand death, burial, resurrection. Or for that matter, what comes after if they're going to be sent out concerning baptism and identifying with Christ what right response to that gospel is. Acts 2.41, repent. I've declared to Jews and Greeks, they must repent and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right response matters. So there's some things for that seed sower to know, things for them to be, things for them to do, that head, heart, and hands axiom that we would want to invest in. And now ultimately, when we approach for training, our tools need to be simple enough that these competencies and confidences, those things they need to know, be, and do, are ultimately pushed out and they are beginning to reproduce field one and two. You with me? Okay, so what's the next step? A level two leader, we're gonna call a church planter. Church planter. What are they capable of doing? We'll revisit the kingdom diagram They're able to do entry in gospel. They're able to do level one plus what? So they're a seed sower plus what? Well, field three and field four. That's what. If they're going to form new groups out of the harvest, not only do they need to enter and sow, but they need to know and have the answer, what do I do if they say yes? In other words, they need to be disciple makers. For that matter, as they form, form and make disciples, they need to give, be able to gather those disciples in the New Testament churches. So there's another set, there's another aspect of training, call it a level two training if you'd like, church planting training that puts tools in their tool belt for how to make disciples. Things like a participative study format or a creation to Christ discipleship package or even practice with oral storytelling Uh, they need to understand also tools for church function they need to understand uh, biblical leadership for new testament churches they need to understand identity how to group how to how to gather they should understand body life certainly we would also probably most likely and i hope we would start to challenge these church planters to steward the ordinances. In which case, baptism and Lord's Supper, if in fact they're part of our discipleship, Acts chapter 2, and part of church function, we probably are going to want to see ordinance authority vested in the level 2 leader. How are we going to send them out to gather groups of baptized believers if they don't have the authority to give baptism? That's setting them up for failure, right? Right? In which case, there's a list of competencies and confidences that we need to pursue, that we need to train, we need to practice so that confidence is high enough that level one leaders can ultimately add to their tool belt level two competencies and go out and reproduce churches. You with me? So, just to the, for the sake of review, we've got a seed sower field one and two, and then we've got a church planter. Someone who can sow, reap, cut, if you will, and also bundle, gather that New Testament church. All right? So, so far, following this script, we've gone through two levels of leadership. You see that? Uh Now there's a next step, okay? What's next? Ultimately, we want to deploy and multiply leaders who can do all of those things, right? We need to multiply church planters. If we're gonna get to generations, it's fine that a level one leader can engage a field and ultimately form, a level two leader can form a church, but how do we go generationally? Well, it's here in the diagram in these arrows. Do you see that? Entry, gospel, discipleship, church formation, and then the arrows representing leadership multiplication. So for the church planter, level two leader, there's a next step, isn't there? They would become a level three leader. And what is that? We call them a multiplier, church planting multiplier, okay? Okay. What we're really talking about looks something like this. Here's our individual, our leader, and they've gotten to generations... Of church starts. How did they do that? They worked the kingdom plan. Not only did they plant and form church, first generation, but they multiplied leaders, released authority, pushed others out of that congregation that could go and do the same thing. And so our diagram looks very similar. The goal here is third or fourth generation. So this is a CP or church planner. Plus what? Multiplication. Able to multiply leaders. They're willing to divest or give away authority in the new leaders. They're willing to envision and push people out. They understand the 222 principle that Paul told Timothy, right? Reliable men, they're able to pass down DNA. They're able ultimately to give away the kingdom and start to think beyond their own gifting. They've probably simplified their tools to a place where their disciples also can take up confidence and competence. In some ways, they're also taking up a training role. That all You can accomplish the level two leadership, get to a church start based on your own giftings, right? But to take the next step, you also have to carry a vision for the giftings of your disciples, in which case... There's a transition, almost like the biological family, to go from not just father to son, but now also grandfather to grandchild in generations. And honestly, that's how our work, our ministries, would outlive us, right? Isn't that the measure of success as a man? That you have generations that can go and live on beyond you. Well, that's our goal in church planning. It's what it takes to get to movement. Okay. I'm gonna show you one other and probably erase in just a second a couple things and then show you one other level, maybe two other levels of leadership that would be valuable for us, all right? We can do that. Okay. Any questions on this while, while I erase? Okay, good. Okay, so what's the next step forward? Up till now, up till now, we've been talking about and speaking from the assumption that you want the leaders to move forward. That you want seed sowers to become church planters. That you want church planters to become multipliers by releasing. Now we're we're going to ask a different question. Because the reality is, we've gotten and we've discovered through equipping and training, and, and now this person taking a training role in their own network, This is a highly effective kingdom agent, is it not? This individual, this CPMer, needs to work this plan for some time. So the question, strangely, has shifted a little bit. Not how do we move them. Sometimes we need to ask, should we move them? It might be that this is the sweet spot in ministry, but we need to let them work this level of leadership for a good amount of time and and multiply throughout a Galatia or throughout a Macedonian field, you know? Paul didn't snag the Thessalonians just as they, in the first six months, just as they were ringing out from Thessalonians and sending them off to Galatia. He let them work the plan. He expected them to stay busy with their own hands, live a, even called it a quiet life, right? There's times when this leader, 2% perhaps of the Great Commission over the last 2,000 years that have ever gotten to this point, this leader needs to be protected and guided and encouraged. In some ways resourced with prayer and strategy and heavy thinking to stay focused, right? That said, there are lessons that this leader is learning that also need to be leveraged into other networks. Just as we might have approached a single body of believers to challenge them to start seed sowing and church planting, this brother, this leader, also carries the potential to approach other pre-existing believers, his friends in ministry, his, his contacts, or perhaps someone we would introduce them to and help them begin to multiply. So this is someone who's counted the cost, no longer thinking about growing their kingdom. Now they're releasing it to others. When we see that DNA, when we see that kind of humility and kingdom vision, not their kingdom, but the kingdom of God, those are the type of people we want to leverage and actually introduce to other partners, other churches because we believe, that having examined their own traditions, having examined their own ideas of success, and giving the kingdom away to their disciples, we need to spread that DNA. We need to leverage that voice so that they can start other streams of church planting, right? In which case, we come to a level four leader. There's our leader. Now he's outside his own stream And he's engaged in a pre-existing church, just as we did, to get to discover him. And he's helping that other stream begin to multiply. You see the difference? It's a subtle difference. But suddenly the, the, the level three leader is giving away the kingdom even outside his own ministry. Helping others multiply. He's able to examine barriers. He's able to examine tradition. With scripture, help them get unstuck. Issues like baptism authority or, or venue for church or some of those traditions that otherwise might stifle us. The who can and who can't of New Testament politics and polity within our traditions. In which case, he's giving away the kingdom to others, even outside himself. This role won't make him famous. The level four role, that resource as he empowers others won't fill his pockets. That won't be his fruit. Right? But the kingdom expands this way. You won't get to multiple streams of multiple generations. That's what we called a church planning movement without someone willing to give it away even outside their network. Okay? So a level four leader... We call a movement trainer. They're able to do... They are a church planning multiplier. Plus what? They give away the kingdom. They're somehow socially mobile. They're able to approach other existing churches, help them get moving. Truth is, sometimes... They have some training budget. They are able to resource training budget, be that in food or travel or resources like Bibles to help another network move forward and do so in a healthy manner. Not only do they understand body life, not only do they understand what it takes to multiply and release leaders, they're able to help other ministries do the same. Other churches get started and move to regeneration. Okay? Truth is, for most organizations, truth is, this is one of the most effective tasks or job descriptions for cross-cultural workers. There are places, there are fields, there are empty fields globally that we as cross-cultural sent ones from an organization or from our home church, we need to engage. And in many cases, there are what we call a zero-to-one task that there, you enter with no place with no believers and you look for the first believer. There's times when the cross-cultural worker, the expat, the American, needs to fill that role. The majority of time, globally at this point, and I serve in some fields that have less than one-tenth of a percent Christian, so hear me on this, what would be considered a pioneer context. In most cases, this particular role is actually ought to be the job description of cross-cultural workers in my thinking. Because it's not just about our gifting, our language ability, our calendar in order to enter new fields and so. Rather, there's times when our job description ought to be stepped back one step and approach pre-existing believers, even near culture believers, in order to mobilize them across culturally, because they're they're local, cross culturally and begin to engage their neighbors with the gospel as we love our neighbor as ourselves. So for our organization, that's typically the type of role we send out. We send out people who can engage new or other autonomous groups and autonomous churches and help them begin to multiply. Consider that a level four leader. With me? Well, what does that lead us to? If we work these four levels of leadership, if we work level four leaders, mind you, these leaders are seem to be further and further from the harvest themselves, right? If this leader doesn't practice his own disciplines, he'll dry up. He won't, he won't make it. He won't last. But to illustrate the point I was making, for my, in my life, in my description sent out by my mentor who's, who's here with E3, we were sent out into this basic paradigm, into this role. First of all, if I'm not practicing my own disciplines of entering, sowing, and reaping, discipling, how could I possibly train others? How could I, with integrity, offer other people tools that I know and I'm convinced work? Number one. Number two, even if I've seen them in the past and put my own hand on the plow, if I don't continue my own disciplines within a level four leadership role, I'll dry up. I won't last on the field. I won't be any use to that partner. So it's not one, when you move forward, that you stop doing the previous? No. Ultimately, these are cumulative. But they're, so in that sense, there's also, by this point, a real stewardship of calendar, a self-awareness, and a discipline to carve out time to continue to be a disciple of Christ himself. With me? That said, and I, I do think that's important, hear me say, uh, doing my best, studying my whole life to be cross-cultural, living in some ways what people would regard as a zero-to-one context, I also recognize the fact, hear me, that I have seen, I have been a seed sower, I've been a church planter, but ultimately it wasn't until I started to give it away that the Lord really unlocked the potential of my ministry and my role. Right? And this role has gone, this, is what has, this role is what's gone catalytic and gone exponential. In the hands, in the fields we've been engaged. My disciplines couldn't be the plan. I could I had to practice somewhere, I wouldn't last. But my gift in my calendar wasn't what multiplied. Ultimately it was giving it away. I think that's the as an organization, that's where we send out leaders. Let me show you one other step. If we work this plan, you know where we end up? We end up with multiple streams of multiple generations, right? Right? Multiple streams, multiple generations is a church planting movement. Right? You can see that this work, this, these streams would outlive the departure of that original leader. A level five leader. I'm, I refer to him, we used to call him a strategy coordinator. You call it whatever you want. In my mind, it's the Apostle Paul. An Apostle Paul type leader. Think about it with me. In the book of Acts... You have a Galatian stream, Iconium Lystra Derby, first journey, second journey placed town to town throughout the region of Galatia, strengthening the churches, third journey place to place across Galatia and Phrygia, encouraging the disciples. You have a stream in Galatia, Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, from the Thessalonians the gospel rang out, First Thessalonians 1, in which case there's reproduction happening. A Macedonian stream. In Asia, the lecture hall of Tyrannus for two years has been on daily lectures so that the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Think that through with me. Eckhart, Schnabel and others, there's six to eight million people in that province. And all the Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord? There's some reproduction happening. There's some chains of discipleship and levels of seed sowers and church planters radiating out from that lecture hall, aren't there? Multiple streams, multiple generations, Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, Asia, this is the Pauline role. This is ultimately what the Lord recorded for us as an example. It is across his three missionary journeys that led him to be convinced there's no place left for him to work. So then we think to ourselves, what then was the role of Paul? Ultimately, that's our job description, right? We talked about it earlier the 1111 principle. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, just like we had 2.2.2 two, two earlier. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So that's not to say that we're a failure if we never get there. But it ought to tell us that it is, until it's accomplished and sustainable, it ought to be our passion, our pursuit throughout our career, throughout our the days the Lord has given us to minister. That's a level five leader. Level five leader carries the potential to keep up with population growth. In fact, to make a significant generational, biologically, I'm talking about chronological dent in darkness globally. Right? I'm going to change gears just a little. We've got competencies and conferences all along the way that ultimately make up training level two, level one, level two training, but also mentoring as we think through. Uh, those multipliers and spend time with them. How do we do that? And and ultimately, this is some things we learn from our mentor again. This process doesn't happen overnight, right? So I'd like to just take a minute and offer us a little bell curve, offer us a little graph to think this through as an organization, how we spend our time, first of all, as individuals. The reality is this process is going to take, at times, years to move along. We don't discover these diamonds fully cut. We ultimately finding, we're training, we're equipping, and a percentage of a percentage of a percentage over time and over years through obedience and through fruitfulness are moving forward along with us across this paradigm, across these levels. We have found that as we lead and as we work with people, typically we're talking about a minimum of two to three years in a highly receptive field for this to take place. The streams and generations of churches to the point of a level four leader. Typically, we've been two to three years. Now, understand one of the axioms, one of the things that was demanded of us from the beginning from from our mentor, Jeff, is that we would train broadly, but that as we found faithful, we would also commit ourselves deeply to those few who are moving forward to the extent that we were committed, and that's a little small writing, to spend 60 to 90 days a year with those le- leaders that we were investing in. Now, we can't spend 60 to 90 days a year with the crowd. But for that matter, we can't identify the right leaders until we also train the crowd, train broadly to find those people who are faithful. When we try to profile, we fail. I constantly pick the wrong people to give my time to. But when we train broadly, as many as 500 a year get a taste, a touch. And then we those who are faithful, we identify, we give ourselves to them fully, living life with them, even a quarter of our time for the year. The only person who gets more time than that disciple in my life, the Lord Jesus Christ, on a daily basis, my wife and kids. Next to them, there ought to be a short list of disciples that we're pouring everything into. You with me? So I want to draw a bell curve for us. It might be hard to see, but here it is. In our experience, this bell curve represents our time. You see zero in the corner, in which case, if I'm training broadly, approaching churches, helping them, cast vision for entry in gospel, to become seed sowers, I'm going to give them a little bit of time. One day, two days. Three days of training, three touches, teaching them a simple gospel tool. If they don't obey, guess what? God bless you. We encourage them, but I'm going to keep moving forward. I move forward with those movers, those who are obedient, so that pastor teachers and or church planners are going to get a higher percentage of my time. And across a two to three year plan, ultimately I want to peak out 60 to 90 days a year with those guys ultimately that are reproducing level three leaders who are that real kingdom multiplier, agent in the kingdom. The reality is also, as they are competent to do everything I could do, as we spend a great deal of time in this area, you can't examine character. You can't redefine success, uh, examine motives in someone's heart in a classroom in a two-day training. There's got to be the life-on-life element. That's why this is such an essential piece. Who are you committed 60 to 90 days a year to spend your time with? So we can introduce tools in a very short time. We examine character, motive, challenge, integrity, and vision by giving them our life, right? On the back end, as they become peers in everything we could do, the reality is also that we tail off We release them also. And in fact, they may go beyond us in encouraging other networks to do, perhaps in a lot of ways, and be more fruitful than what we have ever been with them. That's what it takes, right? To multiply. So there's a back end on that bell curve as well. That's our time. Let me show you also this same bell curve. I think organizationally, and this is for audiences in the West that are sending and trying to resource. Personally, I think it represents our financial investment as well. In other words, as we approach training, we and, and uh, church for training on entry and gospel, we may very well provide them with some Bibles with a lunch or two for training time. And the reality is as we move forward with those who are reproducing, more Bibles, more time, also more training. They might begin to travel with us. We may begin to travel with them. Ultimately, as we peek out and they're moving up and down their stream of church planting, we may be helping them with some of their travel. We may be helping them at times with training budget. And I'll tell you why I'm comfortable with that. There's a little magic line in this graph that we need to grasp and we need to understand. It happens right here. The magic line between level two and level three leaders. What's the distinction? Why is that line valuable? The reality is investment and activity on this side of the line is ultimately addition. Right? By using my own gifting and seed sowing, I can add people to the kingdom. By facilitating my own calendar and my own gifting, I can form churches, but those are first generation. That's addition. When I move from level two to level three by releasing leaders who can do the same thing, I'm making an important transition, and for the first time, I'm in the realm of multiplication. Right? In which case, I'm willing to peak out my time and pursuing opportunity to give my time to multipliers And for that matter, those are the people I'll start to share my ministry budget with because they've proven that they're willing to give it away also. It's not about their kingdom. And guys, here's the reality. Most organizations, most organizations are investing time and resources on this side of the graph. Think about the organizations that pay evangelists, that pay church planners, that paid pastors even. And they wonder and they, they think to themselves, why aren't we able to multiply when all the time they're paying for addition? Now that sounds pretty rough, but let me say it another way. If evangelism is a spiritual discipline that we intend every believer to go about, the same as we do prayer or Bible reading, spiritual discipline, right? We're going to pay people to pray? We're going to pay people to read their Bible? Of course not. It's laughable, right? And yet, how many organizations pay people to do evangelism? Well, the reason that's necessary in a lot of cases is because they failed to honor the reset button in the kingdom. That's not to say that these people shouldn't receive support, that they shouldn't also receive double honor for their ministry of teaching, as it says in First Timothy. Of course that's the case. But why doesn't that why does that have to come from outside? Why can't that come from the reset button? In fact, when we provide and invest and inject some of that, we actually undercut, we undercut the reset button. We undercut the financial accountability and responsibility of the New Testament local church. And we wonder why we can't multiply. People don't typically give away what they're paid to do. Right? So if I'm paying a church planter, why on earth would he gather seed sowers from his network and pull them to his level? Compete for his job? Why on earth would he release other church planters thus becoming an L3 when in fact those are the the strongest disciples in his church They actually prevent him from fulfilling his job description by giving away his best disciples. You see that? It's just, it doesn't make sense. And yet we do it all the time. In other words, as an organization, what we need to do and pursue is to move those resources and max out as much as possible, maximize our resource investment on the multiplication side of the graph. With me? So that an organization that's not sending out evangelists, though sometimes I'm sure that that's going to be necessary. Ultimately, our pursuit is that we would pursue and send out, in fact, resource level four, level five, movement trainers and Apostle Paul types who carry the potential even to keep up with population growth. I believe that's how the four fields the kingdom process operates. I believe as mentors and those who are trying to multiply the kingdom agenda in multiple fields, I think these levels of leadership are a path for intentionality and, for that matter, some principles that we should employ, perhaps even structure our organization toward those ends. That's it, guys. Any thoughts on that? Can you uh, finish filling out the, the level five? Absolutely. How Forgive can you describe me. that? I'm a... I'm a... On the high sea, I have to have everything filled in. You know, I I probably wanted to explain before I put the Apostle Paul on my graph, okay? (laughs) That's a little touchy, right? Forgive me for not coming back to it. I think that's a Paul. Multiple streams, multiple generations. He had Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, Asia. And when he was looking around in Acts 20, verse 3, writing the book of Romans, when he got to this point... With multiple streams, multiple generations and leaders who could do everything, that's when he wrote Romans 15:23. there's now no place left for me to work in these regions, right? Excellent. All right. Would, would you hit uh, the prescriptive and uh, the type of training versus the uh, other kind of training that you're doing? Yeah, sure. Huh? I heard it described just recently. The reality is... This then is a training package we want in, on the addition side. As people take up their priesthood, we mobilize. We ultimately are trying, we're going to typically be highly directive. So we're going to talk through best practices. These are the simple, refined tools that every believer can use to mobilize maximum percentage. So from level one to level two, you've got best practices. Practices, And so as you guys as an organization put together training manuals, even regard, related to the four fields, you're pretty well scripting the tools you want to see every believer trained to use, how to engage, how to share the gospel, how to do their testimony, how to study the Bible, how to begin facilitating a worship service. Those are the best practices, highly directive tools on the addition side of the graph. Once you had the more complex the more complex the process, the more complex the, the task, the job description, ultimately, I believe, level three and on, typically you move beyond best practices to best principles. Is that what you were referring to? Mm-hmm. So you've got the simple tools every believer needs to take on, and now once you cross over into the multiplier, ultimately you're equipping them with principles of multiplication and other things, not necessarily just tools, but principles that they need to push out. So we put on tools and then we push out principles in order to release. Talk about the theological uh, yeah, good. aspect of things. Okay. The reality is, even as, if you will, this is the apostolic track, if I can say it that way, the sent one track in order to multiply churches, we remember that we can filter and train and identify and, if you will, pluck from a stream of churches all of the other apostolic-type leaders, the Pauls, the Timothys, those are the ones we're looking for to pull out and go multiply. But, of course, you remember... Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, evangelists are not the only kind of leaders in New Testament churches. There's pastor teachers also, right? If the apostle, prophet, evangelists are the sent ones who deal with width, what do we do about depth? What about who's that leader who stays home and helps that church by shepherding the flock? Now, the reality is a lot of times if we inject the pastor teacher, typically the pastor teacher content tends to be more... Content-oriented, knowledge-oriented, things like Old and New Testament survey are essential, aren't they, for that shepherd? First uh, Timothy 3 says they need to be able to teach, in which case we're going to have to deal with a little bit of hermeneutic. Do they know how to interpret the Scripture? Do they know how to take chunks of truth and feed it to disciples, feed it to the sheep? That's a stewardship. That's an important role in the New Testament church. For that matter, Titus 1, do they know how to refute false teaching? Typically, when we are identifying pastors, character may be in place. The ability to teach, the ability to refute false teaching sometimes are something we have to be very intentional about giving them a tool on how to do that. In which case, now, a little caveat, a little asterisk on that. Introducing some of those tools and some of those that training, that content-heavy training, Old New Testament survey, too soon, when you're at one church or one church planter, if you don't wait for movement, the, the content carries the potential to be a competing voice with the sent ones, with the width. So my suggestion and how we've rolled it out, as we started to multiply, we've seen tr- streams of church planting, and we have that we're starting to move that network leader into multiplying and training others. Basically what we're saying as their coach is that we're in the L5 role just ahead of them. Somewhere here, we have seen the value of going back with a second track of training we call the PT training, the pastor-teacher training. We have a tool we call Foundations. And on this track of training, we introduce Old Testament, New Testament survey in a story format, oral format, with intense practice on hermeneutics, which is interpretation. So they practice, practice, practice in small groups recognizing the truth and an essential key point within the context of a passage. Now we use the same tools that we've introduced from the very first lesson of beginning discipleship, the participative study method we call the sword to make observations of the text. That's been introduced from the very first day they came to faith. But now we're going to develop that tool for the emerging leader by the way, we're not guessing who those leaders are because with the gen health mapping or the generational mapping of churches, we know who the shepherds are in all those churches, the, the local leaders. We pluck those guys in a parallel track. We give them all Old the and New Testament survey, multiple days every month, typically, in an extension type program where we go as close as we can to them. And when I was in seminary, my homiletics class and hermeneutics, for that matter, two different courses. I had to do six, I had to prepare six messages, six lessons for evaluation. And I got a A, B, or C based on what I did with six passages. And what we do over six months, they write over 30 lessons in groups that they are to take back, having written it themselves with some guidance, they take back and begin to teach their churches. So we refer to that that training, we actually diagram by putting a foundation on that level of leadership. This is, the, of course, the New Testament pastor here. That's our goal. We may get the, the emerging leader straight into the network. For that matter, we may find that this, that we can get to a pastoral trainer within the network, someone who can actually roll out the same content, Right? that moves up the stream and, and deals with the whole network. We have the foundations material we sent. It's open source. Same with the four fields manual. This is open source, and now I'm on record. Figure out a search for a PDF converter from that document I sent you. Unlock it, change it, cut and paste, whatever you want, make it better, send it back to us. We'd love to have your improvements. It's meant to be an open source tool, all right? Excellent. Uh, do you need all that for church health? "Quote unquote," your definition of church health. What's that? Those elements from the previous tool. Uh-huh, just Acts hit, two. Get church health one more time and the ebb flow. Yeah. How can we have sheep without a shepherd, right? So we may have church function, Acts chapter two function, if we haven't if we haven't identified the local leader and made sure that the group. Decided and agreed, this is the one who has 1 Timothy 3 character, Titus 1 character, and for that matter, that skill of able to teach, able to refute false teaching, Titus 1. If we haven't done that, we probably would deserve the rebuke of Paul that he gave to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was to finish what was left undone and appoint elders in all the churches. Appoint, what does that mean? How are you going to do it? It's ultimately, it's a group decision because it's based on their character. Hospitable, not a lover of money, all those things that are character in those lists, you're going to have to ask the local believers, is this true of this man? So it is group decision, isn't it? They are agreeing to submit themselves to that leader. A flock without a shepherd? I would I would suggest function is essential for health. So is a shepherd. So is a shepherd, yeah. And by then, they've had enough scripture lessons. They have a filter to know, oh, well, he meets the biblical... That's right. That's right. And as and as they live life with and under this man, they know whether he's beating his wife or not, or if he has another wife on the side, or if he's a lover of, of money or alcohol or whatever else. If his children respect him in the Lord, that type of thing. Those are the people you have to tap for that community decision. You know, Nathan, there a lot like I always described it as a dad. Because if you're in Corinth and, and you're a dad and, and dad's Letting the kids come in and get drunk and eat all the food and the others aren't getting to have the Lord's Supper. Huh. A, a good dad who really loved the flock, loved the body, spoke wouldn't let that too. happen. Yeah. Even if he was a blood relative, and, he'd call him on the carpet. And there's that there's the responsibility of that apostolic Pauline role when it was when those leaders or those churches were abusing that, even from outside, he spoke back uh-huh. in. Yeah. One of the realities, so when we started with CPM study and understanding late 90s and other things, those, those case studies started to be evaluated. Roland Allen suddenly came back to life, right? Spontaneous expansion became such the... Craze isn't the right word. This New Testament. The book of Acts looks like spontaneous expansion. And that's exciting. That's passionate love to see God move in that way to multiply. Realize if Acts is about spontaneous expansion, here it is. In some ways, we dove in on the organic church formation side, so, so spontaneous, look what the Holy Spirit is doing, and clearly he was, and he is. The book of Acts is evidence. Just don't forget, there's these things called the epistles. And if, if Acts is flavored by spontaneous expansion, guys realize that throughout the epistles, the Apostle Paul is being highly directive. And he's given some very D one leadership. Stop getting drunk on the Lord's Supper. In that in that example, right? First Corinthians eleven. So I think that there's a both end. We pray, we trust, we depend. In fact, we're ultimately dependent on the unknown doer, God, who gives the growth. Whether we're Paul who sows or Paul who waters, it's God who makes it grow. We're dependent on Him for the expansion. That's the uncontrollable, something only He can do. But we have a stewardship also with the epistles. To look back into what's happening, in fact, encourage the local leader who's taking our place to look back in and at times be highly directed. All right. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode 101 of the Movement's Podcast. If you did, episode 102 is going to pick up right where Nathan left off, talking about the five levels of movement leadership.